have you ever missed anything? Have you ever missed the bus? Anybody ever missed the bus? And you think, oh, there'll be another one along in a minute, even though it's inconvenient. If you miss a movie, do you think to yourself, oh, I'll get it on DVD? Like my mother used to say, oh, I'll just wait till it comes on telly. You know, I want, if you miss an aeroplane, it's frustration, isn't it? And, and perhaps quite a lot of money. I had friends of mine who were having such a good time in the departure lounge that they missed their flight. Like lots of Christians, they're having such a good time in the departure lounge, they might miss some things. Me and Kathy one time, we were in Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris. Well, I say we were in Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris. We got there late. It was probably my fault, more than Kathy's fault. I just want to confess that up. And we got there late. And in those days, you could run to the gate and check in there. And we just ran. And Kathy off being late with me ever again for the rest of our marriage. It set a tone. But we ran to the gate. Our bags were thrown on the plane, and we just got on the plane. I was thinking, what an economical use of time. Kathy was thinking, divorce. (laughs) But you can't do that now. You can't do that now. Times have changed. And actually, you've got to go through security and all the rest of it. You could not do what we did now, could we, Kathy? And I want to say to you, times have changed. You can't be how you used to be. Prophetically, things have moved on. What we have in our culture is, is we think if we miss something, oh, we'll just catch up. We do it with TV. We do it with all things. We've got so many options that if we don't like that, we'll catch up with something else. But you know, there are some things that you don't want to miss. You don't want to miss the birth of a child. You can't catch that up. You can't catch up going to your son's graduation or your daughter's graduation. They won't rerun it for you. You can't catch up the death of a loved one and miss their funeral. There are some things that you can't catch up. Let's not be so morbid. You can't miss a wedding. They won't rerun it for you. There are some things not to miss. Have you ever wondered why the Jews missed the Messiah coming the first time? How did that happen? They knew infinitesimal small details of where the Messiah is supposed to come. He's supposed to be born in this little village, Bethlehem. Oh, yes, we all know where he's supposed to be born. We know of which tribe out of Israel he's supposed to come, and yet they missed him. They missed it. And we all look back and think, oh yes, they missed it. But how unusual that they missed it. They did the classic prophetic mistake of focusing on one element of how the Lord was supposed to come. They overemphasized all the glory passages from Isaiah instead of seeing some of the suffering servant passages from Isaiah. They forgot that in their specialness, because God had been telling them how special they were for several generations, 
and saying they were chosen, and they forgot that their specialness meant that they were supposed to serve the world. Psalm 145 verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he's made. Isaiah told them, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. They'd forgotten that their specialness, their chosenness had purpose. They overemphasized one thing over another and they missed it. The world needs the church. I've been teaching this for the last three weeks. You are special. Come on, somebody say amen. You've got to believe about yourself. You're a key element in this world today. And you've got special purpose. And your purpose is to bless and to reach others. And I just wonder sometimes without the organ music coming on in the background, whether we'll be the generation that misses it. Because we're not clued in to the times. That we're not clued in to our purpose. That church becomes a buffet bar of, ooh, what I like and what I can get blessed in, instead of a launch pad into serving this lost, sick and dying world. Could we be the generation that look back at the Jews and say, how could you have missed the Messiah? And the Lord all the time is saying, I'm coming again. Are you going to miss me to us? I want to look at some prophetic things this morning. And speaking prophetically is fraught with dangers, isn't it? It can make me look like some sort of guy who never has a good time or some somber person, or scaremongering, or old-fashioned. Now, you can tell I'm already old-fashioned by the way I dress anyway, because I've got my cardigan on, me and Graham, cardigan buddies here. But actually, in speaking about prophecy, I don't want to walk around with a sandwich board on me saying the end of the world is nigh, but to be quite honest with you, to have a stance and a position on time and to be able to say, well, I do think the world has a scheme to it, helps me to focus my priorities. It does affect the way that I live. And it actually comforts me because it makes me feel like I'm not just at the mercy of random happenings. I mean, let's face it, not many of you understand why the stock market goes up and down and what the FTSE is really. Some of you think it's a pair of slippers, really, let's face it. And the dak and the yak and all of that. And you think, ooh, how does that bother me? But I know that I have a king shepherd who says, I'm coming for you, Mark. I know that I have a king shepherd that is ordering world events and that I am not just subject to the random vagaries of whether some president tweets something or not. I'm not under that. I'm under a shepherd king who's got everything under control. Come on, BCC, wake up. 
So rather than knowing perhaps all the ins and outs, and I'm going to say some ins and outs today, and uh, all the theological people are going to judge me today, and that's fine. But rather than knowing all the ins and outs, I'm actually going to teach you four tools. And my real purpose is four tools of how to approach these times and be purposeful as they unfold. Because I believe three themes for, the ne- for this year will become truer and truer, if that's a word. We're going to have hard times. We're going to have Holy Spirit times. And we're going to have harvest times simultaneously, all mixed together. We have a view of history that it's not just endless and that this positions us differently. We have a stance on things and some people will scoff. And the main reason why they scoff, in fact, it's prophesied that people will scoff and laugh at us for having a position on time, is The main reason is they just want things to carry on as they are so that they can do their own thing and enjoy themselves. And where it used to be that this type of preaching was really positioned the church as old-fashioned, but actually now the sustainability of our planet is in question. That most scientists are saying, can this go on like this? And when we used to say things of how calamities would happen, most scientists now are saying, you know, this is on the increase because of partly because of the way that we are dealing with our planet. And some of the prophetic stirrings that used to seem heavy and far-fetched don't look so today. Let me just take my don't go into work moment. Now, don't go into work tomorrow and say, we've been studying about prophecy. You better watch out, boss. Don't do that. Actually, go into work with gentleness and confidence saying, I know that in amongst all of what's going on, I know where my hope and my anchor is, and you can share that too. Let's be confident people, not doom-monger people. Amen, BCC? Let's have a look at some prophetic stirrings. And listen, the way to look at prophecy, it's like a ski jump. It comes down, and then it shoots off in the end and gets more intense at the end. And that what happens with prophecy is, is that there are many themes. A bit like in the New Testament times, they were told the spirit of Antichrist is already here. Even though the person, the man of lawlessness, is not yet here. The theme is already begun. It's at work in the world now. And what, how to understand prophecy is, is that... A theme begins and it accelerates and intensifies as we go more towards the time when the Lord is coming back. I don't know in our nation today how many churches are still preaching about the Lord coming back. But this is an Elam Foursquare gospel church. And one of the corners of the square is Jesus the Savior and the soon coming King. And so we still want to hold to that truth that time has a calendar to it. 
eight prophetic stirrings. I don't know whether I'll get through all eight, but first of all, things that you need to look at and think, Lord, can I live in these times? Matthew 24 and Revelation 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. Okay, if you can read those just while I'm speaking. No, I'm kidding. Matthew 24 Uh, says this, there will be a multiplicity of religions and options for you to think that's the way. Jesus said there'll be many people who will say, I am the Christ. And they will even perform wonders in verse 24. It's estimated today that there are 4,200 different religions in this world. And every single one of them is saying, we're the way. Come this way. Sam told me earlier, he said, yeah, 2,000 of them are in India, Pastor Mark. You're going to see a multiplicity of religious options, and that is going to be cast as the good thing, that everybody gets a choice. It's actually the prolification of religions is a sign that Jesus is coming. Second sign. The conquering of people and land through the exercise of diplomacy and power. In Revelation chapter 6, it says, I looked and there before me was a white horse and its rider held a bow and it was given a crown and rode out to conquer, bent on conquest. Had a bow, not so many arrows in the bow. And diplomacy and, and talking your way into negotiation will be the way in which nations, as Jesus said, will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. In 2014, Mr. Putin, a Russian leader, just overtook Crimea without many much conflict. He just did it. The world uh, disapproved of it, but it's happened. You will see a lot of diplomacy and overtaking people by semi-force, and this will carry on in the next few years. Thirdly, you will hear, as Jesus said, of wars and rumors of wars. Currently, as you sit here this morning, there are 40 wars simultaneously going on around the world. More than just local skirmishes. Forty separate wars in Revelation 6. When the Lamb opened the second sealed deal, a horse came out, was a red horse. And he was given power to take peace from the earth. Our earth at the moment is not peaceful. Many of you nations that you have come from are in conflict. Jesus said this, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars But see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. You will see an increase in war. Fourthly, calamities. Jesus said there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. In Revelation 6, it says that the Lamb opened a fourth seal. And that may be in a culmination thing, but it begins to happen now where you see a rider that goes called death, and they will have famine and sword and plague. Right now, as you sit here, there were 1,860 earthquakes in 2017. Today, there are 2 
1,000 cases of cholera just in the nation of Yemen every single day. This year, in the next six months, there'll be 150,000 cases of cholera in that nation. Calamities, earthquakes, pestilences will come. Fifthly, flimsy economics. Where things seem like everything's going okay. And Jesus said, people will marry and eat and drink and they'll think that everything's fine. And then all of a sudden, things will change. Can I say a word today? And I say it in in wisdom, Carillion. That you will see that things that just seem okay will suddenly change. In Revelation, it says the released on the earth will be what's called a black horse. And it'll say that don't touch the luxury items, but all the ordinary things are going to be touched. Flimsy economics where it seems like everything's okay. And then all of a sudden it changes. Never before, church, listen to me. Never before in our culture and in our prophetic timescale do we need our stewardship message than ever before. We are not just being good. We're actually preparing people for the end times. So get your house in order, stewardship-wise. And if you have an issue as far as finances, come and get help. Because things are going to intensify. Sixthly, there'll be an intensification of conflict around the people of Israel and the place of Israel. Daniel said that armed forces will rise up and desecrate the temple fortress and abolish the daily sacrifice that isn't there yet. Revelation chapter 7 says, Do not harm the land or the sea, but put a seal on the foreheads of these people. And I heard the number that was sealed, and there were all the tribes of Israel. God has to almost put his hands around that nation, otherwise it would be destroyed. And what you're going to see is an intensification of conflict around Israel. Now, at the moment, Israel have no interest in building another temple. But what will happen is that the place where their temple is will have a great deal of conflict around it. And whether they institute their their sacrifices as they did before, which we traditionally think will happen, I personally think that they will symbolically reintroduce their sacrifices. They will fight over that piece of land and it will get worse and worse in the next few years. The Palestinian leader, uh, Mohammed Abbas, vowed that he would never give up efforts to declare a Palestinian capital in Jerusalem. And he described Israel as a colonial project that has nothing to do with Judaism. Paul said in the book of Thessalonians, chapter 2, he said, the second Thessalonians, he would say there will be a conflict around the temple which has not yet been built, or at least its symbolic place. There will be absolute conflict around Israel. So we need to pray for Israel, 
We need to be friends of Israel, but we're not Zionists. We're not people that think that Israel, who are backslidden at the moment, and everything that they do is the right thing. Seventhly, perhaps more importantly, there will be a persecution of believers that intensifies. Now, in the West, when we have a bad day or our boss says we can't take a holiday, a religious holiday, we think we're being persecuted. I want to say to you that in Revelation 6, it says when he opened the fifth seal, he says, I saw under the altar souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. And they cry out, how long, sovereign Lord, until you avenge what has happened to us? Matthew 24 verse 9 says, you will be handed over and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Now, I know this isn't a happy Sunday, but can I just remind you that the persecuted church are our brothers and sisters who we need to pray for. Some of you are related to those people Listen to this. Although it seems a thing of the past, people are still being killed for believing God. And unfortunately, many of them. To be exact, open doors counted. People last in 2017, these are not old statistics, 3,066 Christians who, because of their faith, no other reason, were martyred last year in 2017. That's 300 uh, and about 322 Christians were killed to their faith each month last year. Now, that's only the ones we know about. In the total, in 50 countries analyzed by the organization, listen to this. 250 million Christians suffer some sort of violence that ranges from hostility or discrimination or extreme persecution or murder. The report reveals that one out of every three people in the country and in the world live in a country without religious freedom. This country that we live in is unusual, and we think it's usual. There are five countries with widespread persecution of Christians that exist. Near where Sami and Jemi are from, in Pakistan, anti-blasphemy laws have become a tool for constant oppression for the Christians. In Sudan, Christians are frequently accused of espionage and the government wants the church to be under its control. In Somalia, conversions cost lives. A converted Christian can be killed for his or her own family by his own family. In Afghanistan, there are very very few Christians, and when a Muslim converts, he or she receives death threats or is assassinated. At the top of the list is North Korea, where the simple act of having a Bible puts your entire family in danger. Thousands of Christians fill concentration camps in the regime of Kim Jong-un. Uh, Christians are enemies of the state in that nation. Now, I'm not making any political statements. I'm just reading the Open Doors report, and I am speaking conservatively. A sign towards the end of times 
is that persecution intensifies. And it won't just be that we're made fun of at the BBC. It will be that we have to say, this is who we are, and it's a privilege to suffer for your name. Can I hear an amen on the church? And it's okay to say it this morning, isn't it? But God, give us grace. But let us have a heart of compassion already to the, to the persecuted church. Let us let, not just have sympathy, but let's learn from them. They can teach us about prayer. They can uh, bring maturity into our lives. Let's not be the big brother that says, there, there, what a shame for you. But let's look up to them and say, can you teach us how to be steadfast? Amen? You see, we've got Paul Hudson here today, and Paul could tell many, many stories where he goes into nations where this is happening now. Eighthly, the sign of the coming of the Lord is that the further reach and success of the gospel Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to the nations. Then the end will come. In Revelation chapter 8, it says, After this I looked, and before me there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from every people, from every tribe, from every language, standing around the throne wearing white robes. I know that this is a cliche. I know that I don't want to be triumphalist. I want to have integrity. But praise the Lord, church, we do actually win. Amen? Now listen. The spread of Christianity is amazing. Christians have remained the largest religious group with 31% of the earth's 7.3 billion people. In every nation, there is a Christian. But not all people groups have Christians in them. And here's my challenge to you. Instead of just seeing nations, and you say, oh, there are some Christians in the Sudan. There may be some migrant Christians in Sudan. But maybe the Sudanese don't know Christ. There are people groups that don't know the Lord. In a few weeks' time, we're going to do the higher tour here, which is to reach out to a particular people group, a young people's group, who are drifting from the Lord in this nation, there are 6,700 people groups who are considered unreached. And this means, and here's the sobering news for us, over 40% of the world's population have no indigenous community of believing Christians. In Europe, the birthplace of much modern Christianity, we're in decline. So when I say to you, I thank God that the nations have heard, I am yet saying to you, we have a huge job to do to be able to reach people groups who have not yet heard. I could give you lots and lots of facts, but here's the one. Over 42% of the world's population live in people groups that have not heard the name of the Lord Jesus. So we need to, as Peter says, 
So speed the coming of the Lord by living godly lives and witnessing. Let's not forget to share the gospel. I know sometimes it's awkward. I know sometimes it's wooden. I once decided I was going to witness to my mom and my two brothers. It was the most wooden presentation of the gospel that I've ever done. But I did it because of the four tools that I want to leave you with today. Number one, to live in these times as Christians, we now need to live in readiness. We need to not be so immersed and invested in our culture that we can't change our plan. I love the fact that I've got a retirement package. I love the fact that I've saved and done all of that. And by what I'm about to say, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do well and do be an influence where you are. You should do the best you can do in our culture. And you should be as big an influence. But here's the thing. Don't become so attached that you can't obey the call of the Lord if he wants to change your plan. That's what living in readiness means. It's a paradigm shift to say we're always ready. Jesus said, therefore keep watch because you don't know the day and the hour when the Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known when the Lord was coming, he would have kept watch and would have stopped his house being broken into. So you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. Every single one of you, make your plans Have your career path, save your money, be at home here, but don't become attached here. Live in readiness so that at any moment God can say, but I need you over here. Can I hear an amen, church? Readiness, second tool that you need to live in. Your second tool is we need to be faithful. Jesus' reoccurring picture of the end times is, is of an owner of a house who's gone away and left some people in charge saying, will you do this right while I'm away? So we need to be faithful. We need to be regularly witnessing, regularly saying, God, how can I build up your house? How can I be faithful at your house, at your church? How can I be faithful in my job? How can I be faithful telling people the gospel? You see, he says that as we are faithful, and he says it this way, It will be the good for the servant who master finds him so doing when he returns that he is the good and faithful wise servant. So we need to be ready, but then we need to say, well, God, you're not calling me anywhere else, so I'm going to roll up my sleeves and do the best here while I'm here. Have you ever met people who never actually move in? Have you ever met people at work who never actually are present? Because they've always got their minds somewhere else. Have you ever met people, you go to their house and they've not unpacked their suitcases and their boxes? If you're at BCC, you need to unpack your spiritual stuff and say, while I'm here, while I'm called here, I'm going to be faithful here. I'm going to work hard here because we've got a kingdom to inherit and to build. Amen? Third thing. The third tool 
that you need to live in in order to approach these times is that we need to live in gentleness and trust. I've seen lots of prophetic sermons over the years, and it usually ends with a rallying cry for everybody to be aggressive and militant. And I think there's another way. When all around us are worried and desperate, we need to see, and they need to see, our quiet, gentle trust and where our hope lies. Instead of being the servant who gets drunk and beats up the other servants and and pushes them around because they don't think the master's coming very soon, we need to actually be the solid, gentle servants who, when all around the world is raging, that we gently say, but I know whom I belong to, and I know where I'm going, and I know what faith is about. The aggression is not mine. So, passion, steadfastness, a bit of life and enthusiasm doesn't hurt. But this solid, strong, gentle person that says, I'm standing. And when the day of evil comes, I stand strong. That's how to win people in the end times. Roger Kipling said this. How to keep your head when all around are losing theirs. It's actually not your head. You have to keep your heart. When everybody around is melting with fear, we can be strong. Last tool. Let's be prayerful. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. Instead of talking to ourselves and saying, oh, when is it going to happen and what's happening? We actually should be talking to God and being sensitive to what he wants us to be involved in. And actually, at our AGM tonight. It's going to be more than just a business meeting. It's more of a sensitivity of, hey, this is where God is leading us. Will you pray with us in that? This is where we're going. You see, we've got to learn to be sensitive because time is so important that we need to pray about, well, do you want me involved in this, Lord? Is this your plan or is that your plan? Do you want me to be involved in this or the other? You see, God wants sensitive, prayerful people. Remember last week when Pastor Nick, uh, and he did a great job and was led of the Lord, he stood up and and he reminded us of the scripture in Revelation chapter 8 where it says, that uh, uh, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God. Do you remember that? If you, if you were here. And it reminded us that all of our prayers go up to God. I want to read the second half of that verse. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it back down to earth and there came peals of thunder, rumblings and flashes of lightnings on earthquakes and this is what I think. That prayer goes up to God. He takes those prayers and says, now I'm going to act on the earth. So we need to be prayerful people. Ready, faithful, gentle, prayerful. Could you just lift your hand with me? 
And would you ask God, God, I'm so glad that Pastor Mark didn't get all charts out today and dates and weird stuff. But would you just simply ask God, God, make me ready. See, this type of preaching is so unpopular today. We all want to learn how to live while we're here. And I'm trying to prepare for the future. So would you ask the Lord to make, Lord, make me ready. Help me to live in readiness. Would you pray with me and say, God, increase my faithfulness. Perhaps there's an area in your life where you're not being faithful. Perhaps it's time for you to just put that right. And this is a time for gentle trust in God. When all around us are melting with fear and wondering about whether the planet's going to be destroyed by plastics, that we care about those things, but we gently say, but I know my purpose here. But lastly, church, we need to be prayerful because prayers not only ascend to heaven, but change things on earth. I believe our 40 days of prayer is significant. So just lift your hand with me one more time. And will you say your prayer that you're praying? 